Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This guy today, JT Tsuimoa, has come of age. He has turned into or from just a talented player and a great recruit to a game wrecker, a guy they can rely on that is instigating right now another short field for their offense. Hey, welcome into the program. I'm Joel Klatt. This is the Joel Klatt Show. It is Thursday before a great Saturday of college football. Lots to get into in terms of game previews today. Um, but uh, just a quick reminder, if you haven't listened to the other episodes this week, go back and listen to them because they were chocked full of, of really great stuff. Go back to Monday's episode for a full recap of Ohio State. You Ohio State fans, do you feel better or worse about your team after the win against Penn State. Some thoughts on Tennessee and whether I feel like they have legitimate championship aspirations with that defense and their quarterback and their offense. Um, my full take on the Michigan-Michigan State debacle in the tunnel, among some other things. And then Wednesday's episode, my full thoughts on the CFP rankings. You want to go check that out because I gave you five very distinct thoughts on the CFP rankings and um, – Listen, as you can imagine, I wasn't thrilled with them, but I gave you five specific reasons why I wasn't thrilled with the rankings. That was Wednesday's episode. Uh, but this one is all about game previews. We've got five games that are fantastic games. You guys know exactly what I'm gonna, uh, about to talk about. So let's get right into it. It's going to start with the biggest game of the weekend. Number one, Tennessee at number three, Georgia. You betcha. I mean, right? You betcha. This is what we love college football for. Games like this. And this one has even ratcheted up a little bit, in particular after the first college football playoff rankings in which Tennessee lands in number one. I mean, we love big games. I was at a big game last weekend. Maybe not the buzz that this one is going to have, but the environments are so good. And... I can't wait to see how this thing plays out. And by the way, there's a few very specific things that I want you to be watching out for in this game and thinking about in the lead up to the game. Um, three. One is location. Two is Georgia's defense. And three is the quarterback battle. Let me go through all three of those. Let me start with location. So the fact that this game is in Georgia in Athens is a huge deal. Huge deal. I don't think that you all understand exactly how important home field advantage is in college football. And I think it gets skewed because, well, I, I think one, because 
if you get down to the the average teams or teams that are not in the top 15 in the country, like anybody beats anybody depending on location. So I don't think home field quite plays as 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 much of a a, a factor in those games. However, when you get up into the top 15 and you start seeing the best teams in the country, they're almost unbeatable at home. It is ridiculously difficult to beat a good team on their field. So that's why the location of this game matters. Tennessee traveling to Georgia. But it's not just my thought or sentiment on that. The data bears it out in particular this year. If you're looking at the top, let's say, 15 teams or even the top 12 teams in the CFP, what you'll start to see is that all of those losses for those teams have come in tough road environments. Let me explain what I'm talking about. Oregon, that's a loss, basically on the road to Georgia. Alabama, their loss on the road to Tennessee. USC's loss on the road against Utah. UCLA's loss on the road against Oregon. Ole Miss's loss on the road against LSU. Utah's loss uh, on the road against Florida. And then again on the road against UCLA. You're starting to see the pattern here, aren't you? In fact, when you look at the top 12, I believe the only loss in in that bunch, the top 12 teams in the CFP, I think have about seven total losses. And LSU is the only one that's really had bad losses and neutral against Florida State and then at home, right? Like aside from that, there haven't been a ton of those losses that you would say, man, like they should have won that one at home. Uh, The three best wins I think in college football so far are Tulane at Kansas State, Tennessee over LSU on the road, and then Ohio State at Penn State. Based on the rankings, that's that's what it tells you. So the location of this game matters a great deal. I look at this line, by the way, it's Georgia favored by eight, and you immediately say like, wow, that's a big number facing what has become the best offense in college football. But then you start to look at the location and the trend in college football and how tough it is to beat a good team on their home field and you realize like oh, okay like maybe that number makes a little bit more sense so that's location this is a huge uphill battle for tennessee because of where this game is being played now the next thing georgia's defense and there's something much much more i should say specific about my my thought about georgia's defense all of us are excited to see tennessee's offense go against georgia's defense but This defense is not anywhere near what they were a year ago in one very specific and one very important category, in particular as how it relates to this week. And that's their ability to get pressure on the quarterback. I firmly believe that if you're going to beat one of these teams that have a great quarterback and a great offense, you better present some pressure in the face of that quarterback. You better force him to get to his second and third read in the progression. You better force some stress on him from a vicinity standpoint where he has to manipulate the pocket and work himself to completions, make life difficult on the quarterback, both mentally and physically. The problem is Georgia doesn't do that. Not this year, not this year. Georgia only has 10 sacks on the entire season, 10. That's not enough. They've got to present a lot of pressure on Hendon Hooker. And it's going to be very difficult for them to do that. Not only do they have 10 sacks, which, by the way, puts them 120th in college football, 
They're also now going to be working without their best outside linebacker, Nolan Smith, who's out with that pec injury. So he's their leader in sacks, granted only three, so not a huge you know sack guy, but he is their best guy in terms of presenting pressure on the quarterback. Now he's going to be out. And what is Georgia going to do? How do you present pressure in the face of Hendon Hooker? That's going to be a giant question as I'm watching that game in particular. The reason why it's so tough to present pressure on Hendon Hooker is because of the scheme and the space that Tennessee uses. First of all, their offense is is one of these offenses that uses the entire 53 and a half. I'm talking about side to side. They spread your defense out about as wide as you can possibly be spread out. Now, what does that do? Well, it allows you to run the ball pretty well, and Tennessee has done that. They're not dominant in the run game, but they run effectively because you're spread out, and now your support players in your defense have got to declare whether they're out in pass coverage or whether they're in in run support. So that helps you run against more advantageous run numbers in, in, in terms of the defensive run box. So that's the space. But then it also makes you declare when you want to send an extra rusher Okay, because you've got to do something and and support your defense in order to send pressure. So what ends up happening against Tennessee is that when you want to present pressure, when you want to blitz, when you want to get somebody free in the face of the quarterback, he sees it coming from a mile away because of the space that they create in their offensive formations. It's really smart from Josh Heupel. Now, why doesn't everyone do this? Because you still have to win on the outside. What you're doing is you're creating islands for your wide receivers, but you better have wide receivers that can win on those islands, which they do. You better have a quarterback that has a strong arm that can throw it accurately and on time outside the numbers. That's a rare commodity in college football. So why doesn't everybody spread everybody out? Because they don't have Hendon uh, Hendon Hooker and the wide receivers that Tennessee has. So... It's a unique group of players and talent of players that utilize the space and the scheme in order to present a lot of uh, stress on the defense. As Kirby Smart put it, this offense is really difficult to defend because of the speed, the space, there's that word I was talking about, the scheme, like I was talking about, the talent, which I was talking about, and the arm. So those are the things that he was talking about, and that's exactly what I just explained to you. Why is that difficult, all those things? Because how do you get pressure on the quarterback? You better have guys that can win individually on the edge, and now their best guy in terms of rushing the quarterback is out. So I fully expect Tennessee to throw the ball really well and very efficiently in this game, even on the road, even in the face of a great environment. And the reason I know that is because in the last three games that Georgia's defense, even their historically great defense last year, the last three games that they faced really elite quarterbacks and passing games, they gave up a ton of yardage. Hendon Hooker threw for 332 in that game against Georgia last year, even in a loss. Then when you looked at the SEC championship game, 421 yards is what Bama went for in the air. And even in the national championship game, 369. Now Georgia was two and one in those three games, so they can overcome it. Yes, but they were giving up yardage. I fully expect Tennessee to be able to throw the ball very well. And I I fully expect Hendon Hooker to throw it for over 300 yards, which brings me to my last point. And the third point, it's about the quarterback duel, just like it was in Neyland stadium with Bryce young and Hendon Hooker. That's what's going to break out in Athens between Stetson Bennett and Hendon Hooker. So the question is for Georgia, 
can your environment and location and your quarterback, Stetson Bennett, carry you to a victory? Because everything else suggests that this number is too high at eight and that Tennessee would go in there and actually win. I think that this is going to be an incredibly close game. I really do. I think that in the end, it's going to be a little too difficult for Tennessee to actually win on the road. Because again, the ro- that's why I started with the road and the location first. You see all of these really good teams. They struggled on the road. Where's one of the only places Tennessee has struggled this year? At Pitt, on the road, in that overtime game. So I think eventually Georgia wins, but that's too many points. I think Tennessee covers the eight, but Georgia wins in a close and glorious game there in Athens. Hey folks, it's your man Keyshawn Johnson here to talk about Angie. Formerly known as Angie's List, your go-to home services. Marketplace for getting all your jobs done well. Now, you might be wondering, what exactly is Angie? Well, let me tell you. It's the nation's largest home services marketplace, connecting over 150 million homeowners with skilled professionals to tackle any project, big or small. As a homeowner myself, I always have things I want to work on for my house whether it's general home renovations or fun projects like putting in a pool. With over 200,000 pros in their network, Angie makes it a breeze to research, compare, and hire pros, ensuring every job is done well. Whether you're fixing a leaky faucet or planning a full kitchen renovation, Angie's got your back. And get this, folks. Angie's pros aren't just any old contractors. They're your neighbors often running small businesses right in your community. Plus. They've been rated and reviewed by others in your area. So you know you're getting quality service. So why stress over home projects when you can turn to Angie? From finding the best price to scheduling a pro at your convenience, Angie's got you covered every step of the way. So get started today at Angie.com. That's Angie.com or download the app today to get started on getting all your jobs done. That's Angie, your trusted ally in home services. All right, next game up. Number six, Alabama at number 10, LSU. So this is another fantastic game, and it's gotten better as LSU has gotten better during the course of the year. Now, listen, LSU is way overranked, okay? They're the biggest outlier in the CFP poll. So no other team in the CFP poll was put that far above where they were in the AP poll. Five spots. It's too high. The committee got caught because they like Ole Miss and yet LSU beat Ole Miss, but they didn't apply that same logic to Utah and USC. Listen, we caught you, committee, right? Like LSU shouldn't be ranked number 10, but that doesn't mean that they're not a very good team. In fact, if you look at the top 10, top 12, LSU is the only team in there that has some bad losses. I I explained it earlier, neutral against Florida State at home, uh, even against what is considered to be the the best team in the country in, in Tennessee. That's why Vegas strongly disagrees with the playoff committee and favors Bama by 13. That's a big number, right? 13. This is a night game in Baton Rouge, and you would think, boy, this is going to be really tough. But what if I told you that LSU hasn't beaten Alabama, even at home, since 2010? I mean, at home, since 2010. Of course, they beat them in Tuscaloosa in 19. They haven't won in Death Valley since 2010. But what's different about this year? Well, similar to my feelings about Tennessee and Georgia, location matters. It matters a great deal, in particular when you're talking about Alabama. For as great as that program is, and they are great, 
Like they they are the standard in college football. That's why when Tennessee beats them at home via a knuckleball a foot over the upright, they tear those upright down uprights down, carry them out of kneeling, and throw them into the river. <laughs> like they're the standard. And even though they're the standard, they've struggled on the road. I've talked about it before on this show. The numbers bear it out. This season, Alabama's defense, which I think is really good, by the way. All the metrics would say, like, man, they're really, really good. They're very stout. And it's true. However, Bama's splits in terms of their road defense and their home defense are dramatic. Dramatic. Bama gives up 32 points per game on the road and seven at home. That's dramatic. So location matters. Location location absolutely matters. So what do you rely on on the road? You got to control the game. How do you control the game? You do it running the football. How do you take the crowd out? You run the ball. So good thing that Alabama has one of the best running games in college football, right? Right? Yes, absolutely. You look at the statistics. There they are. They're the number one team in the country when it comes to yards per rush. Number one in the SEC, right up there. Over six yards per carry. And you think to yourself, okay, great. Got it. Boom. They can win on the road. They can go into Baton Rouge, control the game, control the tempo, play on their terms, and take the crowd out of the game as best as you possibly can in that wild environment. But that doesn't tell the whole story. In fact, Alabama has actually really struggled over the last two games running the ball including against Mississippi State last week. Over their last two games, they've run the ball 58 times for only 143 yards. That's two and a half yards per carry. And they still, by the way, are up there, number one in the country in yards per carry overall, but not in the last two. So they've got to run the ball better than what they have in the last two games if they want to go in there and play on their terms and ultimately win this game. Their defense is going to be threatened. Uh, Jaden Daniels is playing his best ball that I've ever seen. They're getting better. Speaking of that LSU team, they're gaining confidence. Okay, They played really well, in particular late against Ole Miss. Now they get the bye week, just like Alabama does, and they should come out and play really well in an environment which should be hard to win at because of what I was talking about earlier. Bama's struggles have not just been this year on the road. They date back to last season. Remember, they lost to Tennessee this year. They have the one-point win in a game that Texas really controlled. And then last year, four overtimes against Auburn on the road. Lost to A&M on the road and only a two-point win against Florida. So the bottom line is this. The 13 is too much. It's too much. So LSU covers, Bama wins. All right, Bama's going to win this game on the road. It might be close and it might be ugly. Bryce Young is going to be too good for LSU, but LSU covers the 13. All right, next up. Texas Tech at number seven, TCU. So I'm obviously really excited for this game because I'm headed down to Fort Worth. Frog fans, here we come. Big noon kickoff is going to be there. Big noon Saturday is going to be there. Gus, Jenny, and I cannot wait to get down to TCU. I can't wait to cover Max Duggan. Uh, and this team. I'm going to just start with in this preview the fact that TCU got absolutely hosed in the college football playoff rankings. If you give the exact same resume, play the games the exact same way, the leads that could come from behind, 
the exact same schedule, the exact same dates, everything. And you give that resume to Texas or to Oklahoma in the Big 12. Their brands would mean and suggest they would be no lower than four. TCU got absolutely hosed. I talked about it in the Wednesday edition of this show. Go back and check out my full thoughts if you want more of that. But now TCU is seventh in the country, and they welcome Texas Tech into their home stadium. TCU is going to be favored by nine and a half, and the playoff committee just did Tech no favors at all because you talk about a chip on your shoulder. I, I think these frogs are going to have a chip on their shoulder. I think their fan base is going to have a chip on their shoulder. This environment has become really good. In fact, did you know that this year, it's a small school, by the way. TCU is a private school that doesn't have a, a huge student population, and yet Every single game this season, they've set a student attendance record, and they will again on Saturday. So the environment has been incredible at TCU, and it will again on Saturday against Texas Tech, in particular with what the playoff committee did on Tuesday night. Max Duggan is a star. Um, I love the way that he plays. He is a guy that I think should be and is in the Heisman Trophy conversation. Again, Hooker and Stroud have separated themselves to, to a, a certain degree. Right behind them, the next two in line are Blake Corum and Max Duggan. If you actually talk to voters, and I do, if you if you see, like, I, by the way, the Athletics straw poll is about as accurate as you can possibly get because those are Heisman voters. So you don't want to look at even like the odds makers. You don't want to look at those necessarily. You want to go to the source of what you're going to get at the end of the year, and they would suggest exactly what I'm suggesting to you, which is Blake Corum and Max Duggan are right there in that second tier for the Heisman Trophy. This TCU offense has been outstanding, one of the best in the country. They're top five in total offense, top five in scoring offense. All right, they're the only team in the country that is averaging 300 passing yards, 200 rushing yards, have 20 touchdowns, both passing and rushing, right? So they're really balanced. It's an offensive line that is veteran, that has not gotten the love that they deserve. It's been fun breaking them down on tape. Um, I think Sonny Dykes has done uh, an, ex an excellent job with their offense, along with uh, Riley's brother. And they're primed for a lot of success here down the stretch. Sit in that catbird seat. They, they still have a shot at the playoff, although that got a little bit muddier uh, on Tuesday night. So what are the things that they're facing in this game against Texas Tech? Well, I think that the best thing Texas Tech has going for them is that they've got a defender, an edge player, that really gets after it and gets after the quarterback. So there's a scenario in which Max Duggan is going to be under a lot of duress during the course of this game. I'm talking about Tyree Wilson. He's a semifinalist for the Bidneric Award. I'm sure you haven't heard of Tyree, but he's an excellent player. Six and a half sacks, 11 and a half tackles for loss, and he's been really good. So they're going to have to make sure they account for Tyree Wilson in pass protection in order to allow Max Duggan to do what he does. Now, they can do a lot of different creative things. Put Tyree Wilson in the read when you're talking about the RPO because Max Duggan can still run those. They can do the little triple option when they toss it out on the outside. So they can neutralize a little bit of that pass rush, in particular since it's one-sided for Tex with Tyree Wilson. But that's something that I'll be watching for during the course of this game. I'm excited for the environment. I'm excited to watch this offense. Uh, like I said, that spread is nine and a half. I'm not going to make a pick. I will tell you, though, that this year, TCU is six and one against the spread. All right, next game up.
number 24, Texas, at number 13, Kansas State. So um, I, I did believe on Tuesday night that Texas was going to be into the rankings. I know that they're not ranked in the AP, but I thought that they would be ranked by the committee uh, partially or really almost solely on the back of that performance against Alabama, even in a loss. Plus the fact that they're supposed to take into con uh, consideration injuries and timing of injuries. And so, you know, that being the case with their loss at Texas Tech without their starting quarterback, you kind of understand it. All right, so that being said, these two teams could not be coming off of different games. And I'm just going to throw a bit of caution out there for everyone that thinks, well, Kansas State is light years better than Texas because they just shut out Oklahoma State who just beat Texas. Pump your brakes. And remember, in this sport, and by the way, in life, you're never as good as you think you are and you're never as bad as you think you are. So is Texas as bad as they played against Oklahoma State, in particular their quarterback who was awful in one of his first road conference starts of his career? Probably not. Were they as good as shutting out Oklahoma and Red River? Probably not. Same can be said against uh, for Kansas State. Are they the team that lost at home to Tulane? Eh, probably not. Are they a team that is so much better than Oklahoma State that they just shut them out 48-0? Eh, probably not. There's extenuating circumstances in every one of those games. For instance, injuries for Oklahoma really hurt them in the Red River game, in particular at quarterback. Injuries and a lack of depth really hurt Oklahoma State coming off of two emotional games, the emotional win against Texas. They did not play their best. Okay, so you're never as good as you think you are. You're never as bad as you think you are. So these two teams much more evenly matched than we would expect coming off of their last two outings. Vegas tells us that exact same thing. Fox bet has Texas favored by two and a half. Couple of thoughts on the game itself. I do not believe Quinn Ewers plays as poorly as he did against Oklahoma State again. The learning curve for a quarterback, and remember, like I, I, I can remember vividly what it felt like to start for the first time on the road in conference. My first game starting in conference play was at Kansas State in 2003. That was the year that I believe Kansas State went on to upset Oklahoma in the Big 12 championship game. Um, that was a really good team uh, that, that Kansas State had. And when I had to start there, and it was just a fog. Like, everything moved 10 times faster. I didn't know. I set formations wrong that I didn't realize I was setting formation wrong. It's a different animal. The next time I got to go start on the road, I was much more under control. And I think the same will be the case for Quinn Ewers. I don't expect him to play as poorly as he did against Oklahoma State. I expect Texas to commit to the run a little bit more and lean on B. John Robinson, in particular on the road against these Wildcats. I do think it comes down to, though, the questions at quarterback for Kansas State, who's going to start? Adrian Martinez is banged up. Is it going to be Will Howard, who played really well against Oklahoma State, throwing for 296 yards? And how well can they throw the ball? Because one of the trends this season for Texas is that their defense does not play well on the road. In true road games, true road games, so I did not 
account for Oklahoma and Red River in the neutral site. In true road games, this defense is giving up 39 points per game and 362 yards passing per game. That has to improve. They've got to do a better job against the passing game of Kansas State. Now, I think Will Howard might be the better matchup for the Wildcats because he's a little bit better throwing the ball. When Adrian Martinez is in there, they lean a little bit more on the run game, and in particular the dual run game with Deuce Vaughn as well as their quarterback, Adrian Martinez. I, I'm, I'm interested to see who they play there. I, I really am. I think in the end, though, Texas is more talented. They will learn from their game and their loss against Oklahoma State. They are favored by two and a half. They cover. They win on the road against K-State. Next up. Number four, Clemson at Notre Dame. So Clemson's overranked. You know it. I know it. The resume is not anywhere nearly as good as TCU. It's not as good as Michigan, and yet they get that four spot. Why? Well, partly because they've got the history in the playoff. Okay, so previous teams. So Trevor, you know who you can thank for Clemson's uh, ranking? Basically Deshaun Watson and, and, and Trevor Lawrence. You know, you throw in a little Hunter Renfro as well. Right, like that's who you can thank for this ranking because without that history within the playoff, they would have never gotten this bump up to four because their resume suggests that they should not be that high. All right, that being said, let's get into the matchup. Notre Dame, much better than what they were in the opening two and really three games. They're getting much better. Clemson, I don't know what they are right now. The last game that we saw Clemson play, they had to bench their starting quarterback to come back at home and beat Syracuse. It's the same Syracuse team that Notre Dame handled up in the dome. I think this game might be a little closer than we think. And guess what? Fox bet agrees. Clemson only favored by three and a half. Why is that? Well, the trajectory of both teams might be changing a little bit here at the midway point leaning into November and in the, the season. In the first three games, Notre Dame could not run the ball. And we knew that they were going to struggle throwing the ball because they're trying to break in a new quarterback. Then he gets hurt. Now they're in the backup quarterback. So they're a one-dimensional team. Okay, They don't throw the ball very well. They're 106 in the country throwing it. So they've got to run the ball. Guess what? In the first three games, couldn't do it. Averaged 118 yards per game in those first three. And in none of those games did they even average four yards per carry. So it was a struggle for them. Then in the last five, we see the growth. Okay, so Marcus Freeman... They've been growing and getting better, developing. That's what this is all about. And guess what? You look up, and in the last five games, they're averaging 228 yards per game rushing. And in every single one of those, they're well over that four yards per carry mark. So the pressure is going to be on Clemson to go in there and play great run defense. That's a good thing for them. I think that's the strength of their team. Their defensive front seven is the strength of their team. So it's a bad matchup for Notre Dame. It really is. Notre Dame is going to run up against a team that is 11th in the country in terms of yards per rush defense, giving up just under three yards per carry. Speaking of that Clemson team, the only team that really got them on the ground was Florida State, and that's partly because of the quarterback's ability to run the ball, Jordan Travis. I think that that's why Clemson struggled a little bit, stopping the run in that game. I don't expect them to struggle as much in this game, although – I want to know what's happening at quarterback for Clemson, right? Like that's a that's a huge question mark for the Clemson Tigers. It's it's not blowing smoke or or being hyperbolic to say that Clemson has an unsettled quarterback position. You can't just scream like, "No, their coach says DJ's the starter." Fine, he had to pull him to win a game at home. So it's unsettled. 
It's like the definition of unsettled. DJU needs to play better. There is some data that suggests that he might play well this weekend. One being that his best two games, as far as his efficiency rating, were actually on the road against Wake and against Florida State. So when you couple together the fact that DJ's a little bit better on the road and their defense is good stopping the run against Notre Dame's one-dimensional offense, I land on Clemson. I think Clemson covers, and I think they win the game on the road. So that's the parlay. All right, if you're going with the Clat parlay, we've got Texas covering the two and a half. We've got Tennessee uh, losing a close one but covering the eight. LSU losing but covering the 13 and Clemson covering the three and a half in a win at Notre Dame. That's betting 100 to win $1,315. Good luck, bet responsibly, and don't at me at the end. That's going to do it for the Joel Klatt Show this week. Uh, listen, folks, I can't tell you how how thankful I am that you all have been a part of this show so far in our very first season. We've grown remarkably fast. Number one college football podcast in America, and it's because of you. So keep it up. Uh, I can't tell you how much it means to me that you would share it with your friends. So continue to do that. Rate it. Review it and continue to join us. Uh, we'll be back on Monday with another episode of the Joel Klatt Show. But before then, enjoy your Saturday of a great slate of college football.